So we're continuing our series through the letter of 1 John, the beloved apostle of Jesus, who wrote the Gospel of John and who reminded us last week that we are to walk in the light, that the Christian life is not just a a one-time decision, a walk down an aisle, but that it is a continual walking in the light. And it's a walking in light, which is analogous to walking in community with other people. It's not just me and Jesus are all right, but it's the community of faith that the Lord brings around us. And so today we're going to be looking at, as I've already mentioned, a second layer to what it means to live in community. We can really romanticize it a lot, can't we? We can go to conferences and get really pumped up. We can go to pretty you know, remote locations and say, man, I really love the people of God. But we forget that it's the 30 people in this room that the Lord has given us to love and serve each other in in flesh and blood. You see, the Christian apologist Francis Schaeffer, who is a personal hero of mine, uh, he said that the Christian community, the church, is the greatest apologetic in our world. That we can try to spend a lot of time, and he he was an apologist, he knew how to argue logically through things, but he said, you know, when all of the arguments are said and done, the greatest Apologetic, the greatest truth that the church is real and that Jesus and God are real is the church. We can have a lot of fine-sounding arguments, but it's the love that we show one another that can be the greatest apologetic for our faith. Now, I love Francis Schaeffer, and I think he would agree with this. I would just add this caveat that the church can be, the church can be the greatest apologetic. For the Christian faith. The reason I say can be is because it's not always the case, is it? Every single one of us, I'm sure, if you've been in a church for any amount of time, I'm sure that you could say, you know what? It's not such a great apologetic. I was hurt by that person. I was stung by that pastor. That person gossiped about me, slandered me, cut me down. That person excluded me. That person hurt me. And so, how many times have we heard that in our own lives and in the lives of those that we love? I don't want to go to church. Look at all the hypocrites. Look at all, the, look at all what they say and what they do. They don't line up. And so that's why I say the church can be. It's not a de facto is that the church is the greatest apologetic. See, the great potential of, of the church's love and fellowship means that there's a great responsibility and there's a grave opportunity for us to cause other people to stumble and fall. Indeed, we could be the very ones by our lack of love for each other to cause other people to sin. If you read throughout the New Testament, this is the story. Is that you and I are saved into a community of faith. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 18, he said, Woe to the one who causes one of these little ones to stumble. It would be better for a millstone to be tied around his neck and thrown into the depths of the sea than for him to cause any of us to stumble. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14 and 15, that you have got to be careful. You and I have got to be careful that we just don't think that the community is just an add-on, that it's just something we attend on Sunday or it's something we attend at a community group, but that the community of faith is something that we are interminably tied to. 
that when the Lord saved you and saved me, he saved us into a family. He saved us into a family. And we live in a world of hyper-individualization. I practiced that four or five times. Hyper-individualization. We love our individuality. We don't want people getting in the way of our schedules. We don't want people getting in the way of our comfort. We don't want people getting in the way of our spirituality. Hey, man, don't don't talk to me about that because Jesus said it's okay. No, we don't want anybody to get in our way of what we want to be right. So we don't like people crowding out our personal time. We don't like people crowding out anything that we've marked off as mine. And so a lot of times we like community as long as it's convenient for us. As long as it fits in my schedule. As long as your personality fits with my personality, then we're okay. But the moment you start to rub me the wrong way, then I may not return your text message or I may not return your call. That's not the community that John says you're a part of. That's not the family that he's called you to be a part of. Because if we try to free ourselves from the community, and again, when you hear this word community, I'm not talking about big level, the church at large. I'm talking about this community as Redeemer. If we try to free ourselves from each other, then we risk loosing the very threads, the very tie that binds us together. If you and I try to get away from the people that annoy us, then we may be trying to run away from God himself. There's an old hymn, which is where I got the the, uh, title for this message. It's called, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds by a guy named John Fawcett. And he he writes this, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like that above. Blessed be the tie that binds. And what we find here in our text in 1 John chapter 2 is that we are tied to each other like a family. Yes, even Uncle Rufus that you're not real fond of. You're tied to him, right? I have an Uncle Bob that I love tremendously, but I am tied to him. And you're tied to each other. And so this tying together can either be a cause for great joy in our lives, if we press into it, if we tighten the tie that binds us, if we press into it, or if we are not loving one another, as Jesus prayed in John 17, if we are not loving one another, that tie that binds us together could be the very thing that drowns us. It could be the very thing that drowns a brother or sister in our congregation. And so we come with sober minds and sober judgments this morning that the Christian community is not something to be trifled with. It is something that is inherent to how God has orchestrated the world in which we live in to become more like Jesus. Jesus didn't just live his life on earth disconnected from others. He, what is the the gospel writer Mark says, he gathered others around him so that they might be with him first and so that he might send them out to preach. He didn't just give them a teaching in a classroom. He gave them his life, and that is no less what God is calling you and me to be and to do in our own Christian lives, is to give ourselves to each other. No matter how much pain, no matter how much hurt it will cause. So if you would, look in your bulletins to 1 John chapter 2. I'll be reading the whole chapter, and then we will look at a few pieces here. I can't obviously deal with the whole thing, or we would be here until next week. 
So I'll just be pointing out a few things as it relates to the family of God and what it means to be sanctified in, in our family. The Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you, fathers. Because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, 
just as it's taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would come even now and give us light, give us life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you something very obvious that all of us have a family. By virtue of you being born as a human being, you have a family. Surprise. A family is not merely, though, your biology, is it? Our families are the very heart and soul of who we are. In our families, we learn right from wrong, good from bad, what's fashionable and what's not fashionable. We learn what about faith and religion, ethics, government, taxes, whether they're good or bad. We, we learn all of these things from our family. So our family is not just somebody, although we would like it to be, we'd like to say, hey, yeah, that's my, that's my mom and my dad. But what you find is as you go through life longer and longer, you look more and more like your mom and dad than you want to. I can attest to that myself. And so for some of us, this can be a comfort. For some of us can find a lot of comfort that, man, I had a great family and praise God. You should praise God that you had a good family. But for others of us, our families, even if they are good families, are the greatest sources of some of our greatest pain, aren't they? Words said by a parent said decades ago still echo in our minds. Manipulation or abuse or negligence leave scars both on our souls and on our skin. Family indeed can be a very painful thing. You didn't choose your family. You didn't choose your family, but the gospel of grace tells you that there is another family that you can be a part of. And it shouldn't be taken lightly. It shouldn't be taken lightly that the gospel provides us each with a new genealogy, a new family. So when Jesus was told by those who were hearing him teach, they said, Jesus, your brothers and, and, and mother are outside. What did Jesus say to them? Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? These ones who are doing the will of the Father. So Jesus flips the entire paradigm of what it means to be in a family on its head. He says it's no longer determined by genealogies. It's no longer determined by DNA. It's determined by those who do the will of the Father. And by virtue of being under the Father, our new Father, we start to look and act and talk and smell like our Heavenly Father. So just as we considered last week the Christian life is a continual walking in the light of fellowship with one another, and by virtue of living with others, that's how we experience God, our passage this morning gives us another layer to what it means to be in community. In this new family, we will learn what it means to truly live. 
we learn what the innermost part of our being ought to look like and sound like as we navigate the world that God has made. So, first, in order to truly embrace and appreciate this family that God's given us, I want us to look at the second half of our passage together, beginning at verse 15. I think it's really important to understand why God has given us this family. And then we'll look at those familial aspects afterwards. But verse 15 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so you, you may find yourself, but Matt, I thought we just talked about an epiphany. You were at great pains to say that throughout the world that God has made, and in fact I just prayed a moment ago, that the world is good. So how is how are we not supposed to love the world? What is, what is John getting at here? Well, he defines what he talks about. So you, just every time we read scripture we need to keep reading. And when we're confused, you want to keep reading. And so John says, okay, the world that I'm talking about, is a world that is antithetical to the self-giving God. He talks about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. Because this desire for puffing ourselves up is indicative of us building up our own kingdoms. And what does he say in verse 16 and 17? He says, those worlds, those kingdoms will crumble and fall because God will have no competitors. God is not in the business of letting you build your own kingdom because one day all of our kingdoms that we build around ourselves will crumble and fall. And see, this is the primary temptation you and I face in life, even as Christians, and especially as Christians a lot of times, is that we can either live lives of self-promotion and self-guarding and self-preservation, or we can reflect our Heavenly Father in how he gave. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so every moment of every day, we have the choice of whether to be like the serpent in the garden <clears throat> and like our father, the devil, that Jesus says to the Pharisees, or we can be like our new father who has adopted us by faith, who gives of himself and indeed gives his very son. So that's our choice is that be like the serpent or be like the sun. And this is how John can seamlessly move into his talk about Antichrist in verse 18. If that sounds a little weird, it's like, wait a second, where did that come from? That is really, really strange. Well, there have been many theories, so let me, let me get, get at this a little bit. There have been many theories about Antichrist. I'm sure you can go to your local Christian bookstore and find a lot of books about who is Antichrist and then um, several different series of, of novels that are uh, make-believe on what is Antichrist. Um, but it centers around this idea of the last days. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody and they're like, I think we're in the last days, brother. It's like, well, actually, biblically speaking, since the resurrection of Jesus, we have been in the last days. The last days started at the resurrection of Jesus. And so between the resurrection of Jesus, I should probably do it this way for you, between the resurrection of Jesus and the last day are, is this period called the last days. Okay? That's the period in which we find ourselves. So you can confidently say, yeah, I think, I think we are too. And I think we've been in the last days for a long time. And so since this is the case, since this is the case that this is the last days, plural, there are many antichrists. That's why John is saying, look, there are many antichrists that have come. 
In fact, you may have tried to surmise whether Hitler, Mussolini, Mao, any number of people are the Antichrist. And maybe your favorite flavor of the, of, of the uh, day in politics today, you could say, oh, I think that person's the Antichrist. But see, the answer to that question is that any one of those guys, Mussolini, Stalin, Mao, Hitler, they all f- fall under this banner of Antichrist. So the answer is all of the above, if you look at this biblically. So because how do, where do I get that? Look at the last part of verse 18. Many Antichrists have come. This is John writing around 70 A.D. after the destruction of the, the temple in Jerusalem. So he's saying, already there have been many antichrists that have come? Yep, there have been, even at that time. And there will continue to be until the Christ comes. These are all painting a picture of how evil the antichrist is. So, And then you look at verse 22. All these antichrists fall under the umbrella of the spirit of antichrist who denies, who denies that Jesus is who he said he was, the Christ. That really is the deciding factor. It's not how many people that person's murdered. It's anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, is Antichrist. It's the one who has set himself up and said, Jesus was a liar. Jesus is not the Messiah. And that person is against the Christ. So yes, the answer is all the above. And so all of these Antichrists are following the Antichrist. And what are they trying to do? What are all these antichrists, according to John, trying to do? They're trying to get you and me to disbelieve that Jesus is who he said he was. That is the very essence of what they're trying to do, is to get you to believe that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that Jesus didn't raise again in flesh, and that he won't come back in the flesh. That Jesus was just a mirage, or just something that makes us feel good in our, in our faith. But here we see that, that John is at pains to show... You have to fight against that because not only are they trying to get you to disbelieve mentally, but they are trying to extract you from the community of faith. They're trying to take you out of the very vehicle that God has made and given you to become more like Jesus. That's why they are set against Jesus. Not merely cognitively in in some kind of way they're teaching something, but what they are doing, they're trying to say, hey, you really don't need that. You really don't need those people. Yeah, they are kind of jerky. You don't need to go to church. You don't, and in fact, you don't even need to call that person back. And so that's what Antichrist tries to do. In fact, I can tell you many times when I have had the greatest bouts of doubt in my faith and still do, the peace that God uses the most in my life is the community of faith. I probably would not be a Christian today if it weren't for others who had come alongside of me. And so anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ doesn't just want you to assent to that. And believe that, but they want to pull you away from that very thing that you could see God and experience His grace. Because look at verse 19. Where do I get that? This is where I get it. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. You could spend a good hour just trying to parse out a couple of those prepositions. But they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Those who are truly Christians will remain in Christ. And let me take it a step further according to the Apostle John. Those who are truly Christians will remain in the body of Christ in a very real way, a very practical way. How many of us know people that say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you look at their lives and it looks no different 
than somebody who wouldn't claim to be a Christian. Those who are truly Christians will remain in fellowship with other Christians. Not just peripherally so, not just attending a conference once a year, but really, genuinely integrated into the life of the believers. You remember how uh, last week I mentioned that uh, to many in our culture, church is just an accessory to what their Christian lives look like. But that is not John's understanding, is it? John's understanding is not just that you accessorize your Christian life and I'll go to church when I feel like it. But the Christian life, at the center of the Christian life is Jesus. And Jesus, as he lives his life amongst his people, in flesh and blood, in his body, the church. He's at pains to show, John, the Apostle John, is at pains to show that you are in a family. And if you cease to come to dinner, if you cease to clean the dishes, or clean the kitchen, or walk the dog, or take out the trash, or come to a family reunion, then you're probably not in the family. See, the words throughout our passage about family are everywhere. Look at verse 1. My little children... Father, the entire song, that, that the reason why that's indented in our bulletin is that that was that's believed to be a song. This entire song in the middle of our chapter, verses 12 through 14, highlights this family aspect. And then what does he do at the very end? He says, my dear children, children. A lot of times uh, when the honeymoon of being in a church wears off, people take off. When that honeymoon phase of, hey, I'm, I'm part of this church, man, I really like those people, give it about a year, and then the honeymoon wears off, and then you find that people are not around. They don't stick around because their wrinkles are being shown, and unfortunately, we don't like people to see our wrinkles. We don't like people to see our blemishes and our spots, and so when I mess up, I feel really cruddy, don't I? And I don't want that person to continue to know me in that light, so I just maybe not show up that Bible study this week, or I may not show up to that coffee this week. I'll just pretend like I'm sick or that I'm really busy. And so instead of seeing these things being brought to light as grace, we too oftentimes run away rather than sticking in the light. You remember my analogy last week of basking in the sun and being changed from shade to shade? That's what God is calling us to do, is to When you feel like running back inside, stay just a little longer and be changed by the light that's shining on your sin and on your brother or sister's sin. Because God wants to use that uncomfortable conversation, that awkward person, that personality that rubs you the wrong way. God wants to use that to reveal more of himself to you, more of his grace, more of his mercy to you. That's why we just prayed in our prayer of confession that all these annoyances, all these frustrations, those are God's means to bring you to glory. So let's not sneak sneak back in the dark. Let's not run away. We all say we want community. It happens to be the buzzword in Christian circles these days that we want community. But what it comes down to is it just costs too much. And so the Apostle John reminds us that, yes, the cost is great. Yes, the cost is great, period. 
Being in the family of God exposes, because this is, this is why it's uncomfortable, because being in the family exposes where our true allegiances lie. Are you, do you have primary allegiance to your self-preservation that I talked about a moment ago? Or is your primary motivation like the self-giving God? You say, you know what, I did mess up, I'm sorry, let's move on. Our obedience, though, is not done, did you notice the order? Our obedience is not done in order to be in the family of God. God doesn't say, you need to obey, and then you can be in my family. He says, I'm going to give my son as your brother, as your redeemer, so that you can be in my family and be with me. Be with me so that you can learn the ebb, the flow, all of the good and the bad in the world. Because when you're with me, then you know and you can look at the world rightly. But you got to stick around. See, our obedience is a sign of what God has done in our hearts. He's given us a heart of flesh. He's given us his spirit. And so our obedience is a working out of what's inside. God is not about matters of working on the outside in. He's saying, I want to give you a new heart independent of what you can do. And I want to give you that heart so that you start to live out of that heart. You don't have to teach my kids to be crazy. They're crazy because they are a wireman. Right? They're... Being a wireman, inherent to doing that, is being crazy. Maybe that's true in your family too. But I don't have to teach them that because it's something that is part of who they are. And that's what God wants to do in our family is live out that obedience, what he has already done in our hearts. But see, friends, there's a great warning here for all of us too. Because at Redeemer, we're not really shy about confessing our sin. We're not really shy about the fact that you and I are sinners. We talk about it every Sunday. We confess our sin every Sunday. And so there's a great risk to water down obedience. Because if we continue to confess our sin, we're like, man, I forget it. I don't want to do it. I don't need to do it because God's forgiven me. So therefore, I'm a sinner. I don't need to obey. But that's not what John, John's talking about, is he? John's not talking in that way. Look at the language of obedience. So now we're going to the first half of our passage. Look at the language of obedience John uses. Verse 3, we know God, verse 3, if we keep his commandments. But look also at verse verse 5, whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God is perfected or brought to its intended goal. We ought to walk as he walked. Our obedience is not done in order to win God's favor. It's a life that is lived out of the life that you were called to live. God wants to conform you and reform you and make you more like his son through obedience. You don't obey to be accepted. You're accepted, therefore you obey. That's the gospel. And this was the intent from the beginning in the Old Testament. God graciously gave his law to teach people how they ought to live in the world. We're going to get in that next week, though. We don't have time to get into the goodness of the law, the goodness of what God was trying to do through the Old Testament. We're called, so, so, but for today, this is all I want to focus on, is that we're called to strive toward love toward one another. So instead of running away or avoiding each other, awkward circumstances and such, we're being told that this is the very means that God uses. Let me use a, another illustration um, from my life. When Ashley and I were dating, I was really uh, romantic. I put uh, Hershey's Kisses on her car, got her flowers just because... I was on my best behavior. And I remember it wasn't after too long that we got married. She looked at me and she goes, who did I marry? 
It wasn't in a good way. It, was, it wasn't in a good way. She said, uh, wait a second, what happened to all the Hershey's kisses? What happened to the flowers? What happened to the wooing? You see, what happened was I became very comfortable with her because of that commitment to each other. And that is what God is leading us to. I'm not saying that that's a good thing. I'm not saying that in our families, because we yell at each other, that's a good thing. I'm saying that yelling at each other is because we're comfortable. Like We probably wouldn't talk to each other after the service like we talk to our families behind closed doors. Because our families are the safe place that we have each other. And that's what God's saying. He wants you to let down your guards. He wants to free you so that you can be vulnerable with each other in this community. And you don't have to be on eggshells and like make sure that you say the right thing. I promise you, I have said many, many wrong things and will continue to do so. God doesn't call us to be constantly hedging our bets. He wants us to live free and let it fly and let salvation and grace enter in. But I also want us to look at the flip side of that. The flip side of that is the benefit of being intertwined into a family is so that the true and vulnerable you can come out. This community, this community of Christ the Redeemer, this is the community that God has given you as the means for you to be more like Christ. Don't treat her as an accessory. Nourish these relationships. If you don't know somebody, invite them to coffee. Invite them to lunch. Talk to them. It doesn't have, you're only as awkward as, as you make it, I promise. Get to know each other. Love each other. Intertwine your lives that are already true, but lock arms with each other. Risk being vulnerable. Look at each other after this service, and I promise you, start with the, this person's a sinner. Their sin shouldn't surprise me. I'm a sinner. My sin won't surprise you start with that as the basis, then you can be vulnerable. You don't have to constantly maneuver conversations and say the right thing. After all, we're, we, are, we ought to strive for obedience, but we need to remember our first verse in our passage. Obedience is something that's worked out from what's inside, but look at the first verse. My little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. That is his goal. He wants us to not sin. The goal is to look like Christ, to act like Christ, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. But if anybody does sin, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so we rest on Christ's work and on His alone. And this gives us freedom to mess up. So yes, we say, I'm a sinner, but you know what? There is a great Savior who has already paid for my sin, and I am 100% accepted because of that. And so what we do in our obedience is we seek to live lives of congruency between what I believe and how I am, what I think and what I do. That's the call of the Christian life. The family of, the God, the family of God is God's means to help you and me become more like Jesus so that you may not sin. So, for an order, in order for the church to be the greatest apologetic in our world, we need to press into life together in a genuine, vulnerable way. We need to help each other and not leave each other to wallow in our own sin. So instead of drowning us, my prayer is that 
the tie that binds you and me together would serve as a buoy in our lives. So that when we struggle with doubts and pain and suffering and victories and joy, that we share that here as a family, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. So I'd like to take a few minutes, or a few moments, not minutes, but a few moments, just for each of us to reflect on what that means, this tie that binds us together. And then after a few moments together, we're going to uh, recite the Apostles' Creed together. But I do, before we do that, I just like for, in the stillness of this moment, just consider what does it mean? What, what is the Lord by His Spirit doing in your hearts? Is there, is there sin to confess? Is there a relationship to pursue? Is there a Jesus to be thankful for more of? Because of what He's done for each of us. So let's just take a few moments to do that. <clears throat>